Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 18 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by the Mandolin Cafe, my favorite website, and it's also brought to you this week by one of my favorite venues I play, Prohibition. Prohibition is a killer restaurant located in downtown Charleston on King Street. I play brunch there every Saturday and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, they have a killer brunch. Their spicy Bloody Marys are amazing, and they have signature cocktails and, of course, beer. They have two locations. They got the one in Charleston. They also have one in Savannah, Georgia. So thank you so much to Prohibition for sponsoring this episode. And this week's guest is the amazing and Grammy-nominated Frank Sullivan, who today, December 4th, is starting a tour with last week's guest, Don Stierenberg. It's going to be incredible. Uh, the dates are today, December 4th, in Atlanta, Georgia, at Eddie's Attic. I will be there uh, Friday, December 6th. Uh, at Fayetteville, North Carolina, and Saturday, December 7th in Asheville, North Carolina. So very exciting stuff. Also an exciting news, new sponsor this week. Uh, this The other sponsor for this episode is SoundSlice.com. If you remember last week, I spoke with Don Sternberg, and he mentioned the online courses he has on SoundSlice. He's actually got four different jazz mandolin video courses there. Uh, they cover topics like improvising in a jazzier way, comping, and developing jazz mandolin repertoire. Um, and if you haven't seen his lessons there, I definitely recommend checking them out. Uh, the SoundSlice learning experience is completely unique. It's unlike anything you've probably ever come across. As you watch the video lessons, you can see the notation and tab scroll along with every note. You can click and drag across the tab to loop that section of the video, and you can slow down the speed to nail the tricky bits at your own tempo while still playing along with Don himself. The lessons are online and work across all your devices, computer, tablet, and mobile. Don said that his lessons on SoundSlice are, and I quote, as close as you can get to private lessons. And for all mandolins and beer listeners, SoundSlice is offering a 20% off coupon to all of Don's courses. Go to SoundSlice.com forward slash mandolin beer to preview the different collections from Don and use the promo code mandolin beer, all one word for each course to get the discount. There's also a lot of freebie transcriptions to check out on the SoundSlice community page as well. I recommend having a look at the top of the page and doing a deep dive into the great mandolin, bluegrass, and jazz transcriptions that people have been sharing there. You can create and share some transcriptions yourself. It's another part of the SoundSlice site. Great site. Check it out, y'all. 20% for the mandolins and beer podcast listeners. Thanks, SoundSlice. And... Um, thank you guys so much for uh, the, all the merch that you guys have been purchasing. I've got new stickers or more stickers on order, and I'm down to two knit beanies and a few trucker hats. So if you guys want those, go ahead and go to mandolinsandbeer.com and order them. I'll also have a link to that Sound Slice page that I talked about there. And go to the Spotify playlist and listen to the tunes that we talk about this week on the podcast. That's it for me, y'all. Um, I'm going to hit the road, get to Atlanta. Hang out with Frank and Don. You guys have yourselves a great week and check out this podcast with Frank. Cheers, y'all. Gone, gone, should have been gone. Headed for the hills, but I stayed too long. Welcome in town. Had a little trouble with the All right, now I'd like to welcome to the podcast Mr. Frank Sullivan. Frank, how are you, buddy? Hey, Dan, I'm doing well, man. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to flap my lips a little bit with you here. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, but we should start off right away. Just two or three days ago now, you've been uh, nominated for a Grammy for your newest album, If You Can't Stand the Heat. Oh, my goodness. I know. Congratulations. Uh, hey, thanks, man. Yeah, I woke up, uh, you know, kind of slept in a little bit, and my 
phone had blown up with uh, messages and uh, notifications and such from all kinds of friends and family and colleagues. I'm like, what is going on? Why is my phone going crazy? And I realized, oh, and I remember like five years ago, we got nominated for a Grammy and I was just actually following along on the Twitter feed. And it was like in early, early December. So I thought, oh, this is pretty early, you know, but I'm, terribly i was terribly excited <laughs> yeah 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 this is and i was gonna say this is your your second grammy you're like a you're like a pro now at this grammy nomination <laughs> stuff <laughs> well i thought the first one was a once in a lifetime thing and then here it happened <laughs> <laughs> well it's well well deserved and I, I definitely want to get into talking about the album for sure um another thing that's just gotten announced in the last week or two is you got the the dates with last week's guest don Stierenberg coming up here Oh, I feel the stern. That's right. <laughs> He's awesome. Don's a good pal. And uh, we actually recorded some tunes and got some video. We're st- I got to dive back into that and do some mixing and such. Uh, but did that in the beginning of October. And uh, gosh, so much fun to make music with that guy. You know, we, we didn't really rehearse much of anything, you know, so it's really live and organic and, you know, not really prepared, which is kind of what we wanted it to sound like, you know, Sure. Like, both of us are perfectionists too, in a lot of ways, but it's also really fun to just be able to like, you know, kind of lean over the precipice a little bit and, uh, you know, hope not to fall. <laughs> and then, you know, and some of those solos, you know, you'll, you'll feel that tension in there and you'll go, Oh, oh but he made it out alive. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's the magic of music, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it shows when you, play with somebody that you uh connect with just on you know a human level too you know like uh musically obviously but even just like you know don and i feel like i learned so much when i'm just like talking with the guy he's so like you know he's like a sage you know yeah the druid of jazz mandolin (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just talked to him uh well by the time this airs it would his would have aired last week i just talked to him a few days ago though and i mean I, I literally had thought we were talking for 10 minutes and I looked at the timer and it was over 80 already. I'm like, holy cow, you know, and it's just like, you feel like you barely scratched the surface with the guy. So I can't imagine picking his brain with a mandolin in his hand. Oh God. Yeah. Or even not with a mandolin, just like, <laughs> yeah. in, life in general, just like he's such a good dude, you know, and, uh, very wise. And, um, you know, like I said, I learned so much just by hanging out with him, you know, and, uh, sure. of course, watching his hands and hearing what he does and, and the beauty about what we recorded, too, you know, we kind of mic'd it a little bit differently, too. So we, we got, of course, instrument mics and vocal mics. Mm-hmm. We, we did sing it a little bit. But also there's a mic kind of up by where um, Don's face or head is, you know, kind of facing towards me. Mm-hmm. And then I have a mic kind of up by where my head is facing towards Don. So you're kind of going to get uh, a little bit of like what he hears and what I hear coming oh, back. Cool. Yeah. So it would be an interesting... I'm not sure it'll work great, but we're going to see, you know, I'm, uh, like I said, I got to dive back in and do some mixing here. Um, probably uh, this, this coming next handful of days. So uh, we'll see how that turns out. But I, in, in my mind, at least it's going to be a cool kind of thing, you know, so the, whoever's listening to it kind of gets a little bit of that too. Yeah. Oh, I'm stoked to hear it, man. Um, and you know, if you have a, uh, if you want, want to get any advanced feedback, you can always send me a copy of an MP3 of one, and I can always post it on this podcast sometimes, so people can hear it ahead of time. I'll be more than happy to do oh, that. Right on. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah of course. You know, while we were setting up here, just for the listeners who are listening, we, uh, you know, 
Dan was setting up and like, okay, I'm going to get the thing set up with the recorder and we're going. And then I get a call from Don, speaking of Don, <laughs> right as you're doing that. And uh, I said, well, uh, I'll just let it go. And he said, no, go ahead and answer it. So I answered it. And Don says, oh, you're going to have a great time talking with Dan. I talked with him a couple of days ago. And yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, congrats. So, uh, but, you know, let's chat later. Da, da, da. Yeah, tell Dan I said hi. So there you go. Awesome. <laughs> what a great guy, man. So cool. I'm, well, I'm stoked. I, when I saw the announcement, um, that you guys were playing together, I was pleasantly surprised that they were mostly southeastern kind of dates because a lot of that stuff doesn't always make it down near where I can see it. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> let's figure out which one of these or multiple of these I can make it to. So I'm, I get both you guys are such powerhouses, you know. So I'm excited to see what you're coming up with. Yeah, man, it'll be fun. Uh, and just so the listeners out there, if you didn't get it the other day and hear heard the. Uh, the podcast with uh with don you know he he's, he's like the protege of uh jethro burns the late great jazz mandolinist with uh homer and jethro and uh anyway played with him for many years and was his friend and student and so on so it's uh the pedigree if you will where don comes from yeah incredible yeah we definitely got into a jethro we actually uh the last question of the podcast is usually what uh, what's, what beers are you drinking right now or what's your favorite beer? But Don doesn't really drink beers, so he's like, well, I can tell you what Jethro's was. <laughs> so, yeah. It was good. Coors. Coors Light. Silver Bullets. Who would have thought? Hey, Donnie. Hey, Donnie, you want to go over there and give me a Coors? <laughs> Dude, that sounds, that's exactly what it sounded like when he said it. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Did you ever get to play with Jethro? Never met the guy, but one of my Probably the greatest, one of the, if not the greatest mandolin player out there for sure that ever lived. So good. And then you also have, well, we're talking about things coming up. You just mentioned uh, tickets for a, um, Owensboro at the uh, Hall of Fame for a PBS special yep. called Bluegrass Now just went on sale. Yeah, the Bluegrass Hall of Fame and Museum uh, is, uh, they have an incredible theater there. And uh, so, yeah, Bluegrass Now um, is a huge lineup. I mean, of, uh, incredible players i'm so thankful to be part of it and be asked to be part of it and uh i can if i can try to pull this up a little bit i i got some of the information here um i can share with you a little bit if you like yeah man absolutely it's, uh, it's on the it's on the 19th of uh of december coming up and uh it says bluegrass now showcases the many facets of bluegrass as performed by an amazing array of today's prominent touring bluegrass artists Hosted by Rhonda Vincent and Jim Lauderdale, Bluegrass Now is a masterful homage to bluegrass across genres, gender, and generations. This very special event for PBS features Allison Brown, Becky Buller, Dan Tominski, Molly Tuttle, and Bluegrass Hall of Famer Larry Sparks, plus three 2019 Grammy Award nominees for Bluegrass Album of the Year, Missy Raines, Frank Sullivan at Dirty Kitchen, and Michael Cleveland and Flame Keeper. So, sounds like a uh, pretty hot lineup yeah yeah for sure and uh, you uh you, you right up there with all those people that's amazing what a lineup <laughs> that's yeah, so great it starts man on december starts uh it's december 19th at the bluegrass music hall of fame and museum and the doors open at 6 p.m concert begins at 7 sweet and um i'll post a link to the tickets uh when this podcast goes up on the website and on the podcast description as well so if people want to grab them they can just sweet. click that link Right on, and it'll premiere on PBS stations beginning February 29th of 2020. Great. You guys were on the, uh, weren't you on the Bluegrass Underground? Did I catch you on that? 
Yeah, yeah, that was really fun. Uh, 333 feet underground. That's crazy. How was that, man? That's what a what a legendary venue. Yeah, um, they uh, since moved it to a different cave now, but um, yeah, it was really fun. And uh, you know, you just kind of spend the day underground. It's kind of weird, you know. It's, there's really <laughs> fine like silt in the air, so I was feeling a little. You know, by the time I got to play uh, later on in the day, I was, you know, it was like dusty kind of. There's like a really fine dust in the air and on your instrument and on everything, you know. And it's like started getting kind of like weird in my throat so i'm glad it kind of turned out you know yeah uh, but i was definitely feeling a a bit not not 100 percent on that but it, you know the band came through and everybody played and, and, it, and it worked out and the you know the people that put that together um actually are helping put this pbs special together too, oh so. no kidding great yeah yeah man that's great so so, so what started you on this uh bluegrass mandolin journey frank Oh, man, my beginnings uh, of music were, you know, I was raised in a musical family. So uh, my dad is ninth of 10 kids and all of his, you know, siblings, play or singer, have an incredible appreciation for music because their mom, my grandmother, uh, played mandolin and fiddle and, you know, other things, too. But uh, she and her older siblings have pictures of them like, you know. And my grandmother being held in family pictures and everybody has musical instruments. My grandmother's like a little baby, you know, and everybody's holding, you know, fiddles and banjos and mandolins and guitars and cellos and all of those things, you know. And so uh, my grandmother actually toured around in like vaudeville like groups uh, playing around and wow. uh, she was a tumbler. Her and her sisters were tumblers, which basically acrobatics, you know, doing acrobatics and um and then like riding unicycles and doing these like choreographed like unicycle riding things and doing jumps all the while playing instruments and singing. Wow! Pretty, wow! Pretty wild. Yeah. yeah no kidding. Yeah, I wish I wish there was some video of some of that, but I think it was like way long before the iPhone. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> long before everybody had you know a, a, a computer in their pocket. Right. Um, Anyway, so that's kind of my dad's side, at least. Uh, my mom also played guitar and, and sang and uh, just incredible singer. Um, and she had incredible repertoire. And uh, her, you know, side of the family, there were like concert violinists and cellists and such. And, uh, and uh, you know, her, her dad, my grandfather, also played some guitar and did some like, you know, more like campfire song kind of stuff, you know, but... Um, and my mom's older brother plays and just, you know, like every, any family reunion or family get together. And a lot of times it was even like the localized stuff where we'd get together and we'd have like big meals and, and share like really great food. And the next thing, you know, like instruments and such started coming out and everybody started jamming, you know, and, and picking some songs and singing songs. And it's just, uh, I thought that was just how everybody did it, you know, and it wasn't <laughs> until I was later on in, in my years, you know, like even, uh, let's just say even high school, I started realizing what a, you know, kind of gift that that was and not everybody did that. And, um, and now, especially here, uh, you know, I'm in my, I'm what, 42 now. So now it's like, I really realize, you know, how important, uh, that kind of thing was for me. And, and it wasn't until I was about 20 I started playing mandolin. No kidding. And, uh, my, my friend, you know, I played uh, fiddle and studied violin performance in college and such, too, um, and played guitar, 
you know, and, and thought I was going to be a banjo player at one time. I was a closet banjo player. But um, anyway, uh, my friend Ginger Boatwright, um, I played in the Doug Dillard band for a little while. And she was kind of like, she was the lead singer and guitar player. And uh, she had her own stuff and moved up to Alaska. And that's where I ended up hanging um, oh, for cool. some time. Oh, cool. Yeah, she said, uh, lived there a better part of a decade, but she asked me one day, um, so uh, do you play the mandolin? And I, you know, played the mandolin a little bit, you know, played some chords and, you know, knew knew how the neck worked because I played violin, which mm-hmm. is the same kind of tuning, you know. So anyway, um, same strings and everything. So I, uh, I said, oh, yeah, it's like my main instrument. Sure, I play the mandolin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, almost like, now looking back, it was kind of like foreshadowing something, you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, and so I started, she loaned me a mandolin, a Paganoni mandolin. It was like number 17 of 34. And, uh, you know, I, it was a great mandolin. I started practicing on it and, you know, hanging out with a friend of mine named Bernard Glanspeak in Anchorage, Alaska, and him showing me all kinds of stuff. Uh, we kind of formed a little band and played a bunch of like dog music and swing and some jazz and old standards and stuff like that where uh you know i was playing mostly violin but also uh playing harmony mandolin to a lot of stuff like the david grishman uh the stuff you know mm-hmm. bunch of that material uh and it was uh it was a great way to learn the violin even better for some reason you know like not having to worry about intonation and knowing where those notes were like positions on the violin became a little bit easier too but uh for some reason i just started gravitating to the mandolin more and i you know even as a kid about nine years old seeing newgrass revival and seeing sam bush Flim flam between the two, violin and mandolin, and hearing the power of his mandolin at a festival was an epiphany for me when I was nine, you know. I've told Sam since then, and John Cowan, they've become, you know, pals or whatever, and have recorded with both of those guys uh, in my, in my adulthood now, but, um, you know, told them what a, what an impactful concert I attended when I was, you know, a kid, basically, before I even hit 10, you know, Wow. and seeing the mandolin and, and in that context and hearing what, you know, that band, what kind of power that band had, uh, you know, and the energy that they put forth, I was like, I've seen all these instruments before, but, you know, as a kid, I'm, this is my little kid mind. <laughs> I didn't realize all those instruments could sound like that. And, do that. <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, it's been kind of a journey, a lifelong pursuit to, you know, be able to 
passionately put forth sounds that I really like and kind of want people to, you know, feel. Uh, so it's like music for me, at least, is a catalyst for people to, you know, have an emotional response mm-hmm. and for me to have an emotional response too. If I'm not, if I'm just playing music and not making music, uh, it's, you know, it's like, why am I doing it? You know, I don't want to be just mailing it in. So. Sure. And, and that brings me back to what my grandmother used to say. And it was, uh, you know, make every note count. Oh man. Great advice. Yeah. And, and, and it, and it worked. So my dad, you know, he, he plays too and he, he does what he does and it's, it's really good. You know what he does and his older sister, uh, and her husband are in the Western swing hall of fame and like, you know, other musician family members had touring bands and, you know, it's just, a you know, it kind of is that, that ideal or, uh, idea of making every note count is a, it's kind of like what I want to do, you know? Sure. Well, the, um, when I've seen you live, because you're so such a chill, laid-back dude, and then you uh, you put that hat on, and you come out, and it's like, it's game time. That is a game face if I've ever seen it. It's amazing. <laughs> what a transition. It's funny you say that, because Mike Munford and I, we, we'll joke to each other backstage before we go on stage, and we'll be like, all right, dude, time to flip the switch. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go flip the switch, man. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready, bud. Let's go. You know. <laughs> so when did you decide that this is what you wanted to do for a living? Uh, well, I tell you what, man. So since uh, I moved to Alaska when I was 18, so I and before that, you know, I'd been playing music already, doing some gigs here and there. And when I was about 12 or so, I was on a roof. My dad's a roofer or was a roofer in construction. I was helping him. And it was about 120 degrees on this roof in California. The heat just like terrible and I, I already played some gigs on you know and i was like told my dad i'm, I'm gonna learn to play my fiddle really good because i i don't want to do this the rest of my life <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but also some sage advice from, from the old man was like you know uh don't uh you know don't just like pretend you know if you're gonna go and do it like learn as many styles of music as you can and if you're gonna play an instrument play it to the highest level you can uh, and you'll never go hungry. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, All right. Good. Good. And, and just to even fall back further to the make every note count thing, I was hanging out um, before uh, John Hartford died. I was at his house with some buddies, and we played something kind of fast, you know. And he was he was pretty sick at this point, and he was like, you know, it's not not how many notes or how fast you can play. You know, it's not how many notes you can squeeze into a space. It's the space between the notes that's music. (laughs) That's pretty pretty deep. Life lessons right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, more of these, you know, cliches or whatever you want to call them, you know, uh, would be like, well, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, you know? So you can listen twice as much as we talk. (laughs) That's great. I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah. Anyway, no, I, I think uh, awareness and what you're doing is really important. Like even in, in our band, we, you know, we have a tendency to speed up in one spot or slow down. We're always talking about it, but nobody takes it personally. You know, like a lot of people, they put so much energy and time and, and like conviction and like 
investment of their soul into learning how to play. But when somebody says, Oh, I think, I think you're, you know, you have a tendency to drag in this area or you're speed, get bitten by the Russian dragon, <laughs> <laughs> bit by the Russian dragon in this spot. Cause you're dragon, you know, anyway, um, People get, you know, take that personally and they, they put up this wall like, oh, man, I can't, you know, and they get offended and da, 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 da. I think uh, getting to a point where, you know, you to change that around because uh, I, I did this mandolin um, master class the other day and I always talk about technique, tone, timing, and then increase the tempo. And then, you know, at the very top of the board, I put awareness and I like underline it a few times, circle it like three times, exclamation points and stars because awareness is the key factor, you know. If you're not aware of what you're doing, then you don't have any idea how to change it, you know. So if uh, in our band, at least, we, we talk about, oh, you know, I think, you know, I'm playing that lick a little fast. Let me, let's redo that. Let's come together on it. Let's try to get that together. Or we're playing something, you know, like say Mike and I are playing like a unison line or a harmony line or something. Oh, yeah, I think, uh, I think. I'm coming in earlier. You might be coming in late. I'm not sure how that's working. Let's 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 get the microscope out and look at that. You know, as opposed to being like, no, I'm not. You are. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. It, it, that that doesn't get you anywhere. Right. How long have you been playing with the 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 Dirty Kitchen? I know the bass player is new-ish. Since... Yeah, for uh, he's Jeremy, our bass player, Jeremy Middleton, incredible singer and bass player. He's uh, this is his fourth year with the band now. Great, great. And uh, Chris, this is his, uh, he'll be going into his eighth year. And Mike has been with me the whole time. And uh, I was just talking about this earlier with my manager. But our first tour as a band was in 2009. So we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary. Oh, congrats, man. Yeah. But uh, in 2008, Mike and I and a couple other friends kind of introduced the sound of Frank Sullivan and Dirty Kitchen at the World of Bluegrass. It was still being held in Nashville at that time, mm -hmm. uh, IBM uh, deal. And uh, went and played some showcases and started kind of like planting the seed that the following year, 2009, we were going to be out, you know, booking gigs and uh, playing. So that's 10 years, baby. Yeah. So did you have, um, you know, you, you listen to all these different musics, you have all these different genres that you're working on. Did you have a particular vision putting the Dirty Kitchen version of the band together? Um, you know, it's like, I, I love bluegrass and everybody in the band has definitely spent time, cut their teeth on that. But, you know, Jeremy's, uh, history is not bluegrass. He played in the, in the music program of the Navy, uh, the Navy, Navy mm -hmm. music for 10 years. And then before that, the army he did 10 years in, in the military music program. So he did 20 years in the military and plays anything from rock and, uh, jazz to, you know, country. And he is incredible, uh, like just wealth of musical knowledge, that guy. Munford as well has listened to all kinds of stuff, but, you know, he definitely leans more on the, you know, Earl Scruggs and J.D. Crow uh, into Bela Fleck zone, but he plays like the melodic He'll, he'll play more melody notes in a fiddle tune than a fiddle player. You know, if you want to know how a fiddle tune goes, you ask Mike Munford. I mean, I, Michael Cleveland will tell you the same thing. In fact, did it in an interview that we posted at one point. But um, he but he does it with such drive. You know what I mean? Like there's a there, there's like a there's a meatiness to it and uh, has like this really good punctuation when he plays. And, but comes from, you know, he's 
his childhood listening to all kinds of stuff from classical to jazz and whatever. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Chris Luquette, our, our guitar player. He's, you know, an incredibly versed uh, uh, player from, you know, studied some, you know, Brazilian music or, or, or you know, Finnish music, um, jazz, some swing, you know, blues, Almond Brothers, you know, all of that stuff. Rush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I feel like, you know, I come from, I, I, I love, you know, bluegrass, but I also, you know, love listening to Stevie Wonder, Little Milton, you know, the sure. Tower of Power, Almond Brothers, you know, Grateful Dead, whatever. Just like, I come from a different world of listening too. you know, I don't, I never was stuck in a, in a certain form of music, but I feel like people want to know what style of music I play. You know, that's the first thing they ask. Oh, you're in a band? <laughs> what, what kind of music do you play? And I said, well, you know, it's, <laughs> it's hard to define because yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like, you know, well, what kind of musician are you? I don't know. I'm a musician. You know, I play all kinds of music. You put me in, in uh, a country band, I'll play, you know, you got to get the isms of whatever you're playing, you know? So uh, in the Navy band, my, I auditioned on the electric guitar, the Telecaster. Oh, no kidding. Guitar, you know? So that was my, I had to take six months and, and, you know, get a lot of that chicken picking under my fingers so I can go and do the job properly and build a repertoire of vocabulary basically, uh, to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And same thing with bluegrass. You know, if you, if you haven't listened to Bill Monroe, then, uh, you don't know where it begins, you know? Right. And uh, Bobby Osmer, you know, Jesse McReynolds, completely different styles, but all bluegrass, you know? Um, into Sam Bush, David Grisman, you know, and then even further, Chris Feely, you know, and then uh, Sierra Hall even taking it, you know, in that really clean, uh, precise kind of thing. I feel like I'm, I'm, I may never be a, you know, really like, it might take me a little bit longer to play some, some of the things that they might be able to play just really naturally. But I like to think that everything I play has a lot of soul, you know, and whatever I want to listen to or whatever I, I, I listen to. If it doesn't have that, if I'm listening to like whatever music, you know, say, like I said, Little Milk, just full of soul. If I don't love you, baby, rich ain't grocery, eggs ain't poultry, and Mona Lisa was a man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. And I, I just love it you know there's like every note has got character and like passion and this grit you know Mm -hmm. and uh i feel like you know if i'm just gonna pull out some mandolin players like say david grisman for instance like every note he plays has just got so much character and soul same thing with sam bush you can yeah hit both those guys you can tell you know who it is when they're playing yeah immediately absolutely no yeah exactly 
and I and I feel like there's a you know character in, in so many different like fiddle players too. It's like or if you listen to you know say oh I can tell that's Miles Davis or I can tell that's that's Charlie Parker because of whatever it is that they they're uh, sometimes combinations of notes that they like to lean towards in their 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 isms for lack of a better kind of descriptor is sure. um, is so noticeable and recognizable you know mm-hmm. uh, and I feel like uh, you know I've heard a lot when we're our band is being played on the radio people go oh either I know who that is or that's really different or I want to know who that is you know what I mean sure. but but most of the time hearing like oh you know, I know who that is because that band has that a sound that is way different than anybody else. And uh, that being said, you know, that's kind of where I'm thankful not to be boxed in, you know, mm-hmm. into a certain type of thing. Oh, you're just a bluegrass band. Well, yeah, we play some bluegrass for sure. But, you know, we'll play some Steely Dan. We're here, you're leaving. That's okay. I find a little wild time had just begun I guess you kind of scared yourself you turn and run But you could have a change of heart Ricky don't lose that number You don't want to call nobody we'll play some, else. you know uh I don't know. Some box tops. <laughs> box tops, yeah. Or, or uh, you know, Bill Withers or whatever, you know. Right. Like, we're going to do some covers, you know. But then we, we take all of our musical influence into the arrangements that we make for even songs that, you know, I like to record songs that nobody's really ever done before. Um, and, and kind of my whole recording process, at least, and deciding material is I want to do original stuff, stuff that I've written or written with somebody mm-hmm. or a family member has written or uh, a friend has, uh, you know, a dear friend has written. And then, of course, maybe we'll do like one cover or something on a, on a record. And uh, it always seems to be a good formula because I, I have a connection to the music in that way, you know? Right. So, yeah, your arrangements, that's one of the notes I have down here. I love the arrangements on all of your albums. This album uh, in particular is no shortage of just cool, cool parts, and I'd like to maybe pick your brain a little bit about that when you're writing because, you know, sure. all your albums, I'm always like, that was cool, that was cool, <laughs> that was cool, hey, right. <laughs> you know. Well, you're the guy that listened to them, yeah. right? On, <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, when you... So you're the guy. <laughs> that's it. I'm the guy. <laughs> you can trace it back. When Crave first came out um, ahead of the album, um, I listened to that. It, it, it was I was on my way to a gig, and I played it on repeat until I got to the gig, which is about probably 45 minutes from where I lived, and I was just like, wow. So cool, man. So maybe even maybe we could even talk a little bit about that one. Scent of regret scenes in my head. How it really went and hoped it would be. Taste of love, hunger for your touch. Never enough. 
Sure. I wrote that with, uh, with Becky Buller, and um, we got together at the um, at the conf- in, uh, at the IBMA, the International Bluegrass Music Association um, offices. They have a little conference room, and I we happened to be in Nashville at the same time. And I asked if we could, you know, use their conference room and uh, write a write a song. And they were like, Oh, yeah, sure. They're very accommodating, super sweet folks there. But cool. Um, so we got together, and I kind of had an idea for like a chord structure and. I was like, okay, well, we can, you know, I had a couple of ideas of like words to put together and we didn't realize what we were writing when we first started writing it, you know, because I was like, I like really long sustained notes, you know, and, and, you know, I was thinking, you know, the more I crave, the more I lose. I thought that would be a really good, um, really good chorus you know mm-hmm. and so we started fooling around with it and like pulling some cool words together you know uh and she was like scent of regret isn't that a cool line i was like that's a very cool line <laughs> so that's how it starts off scent of regret scenes in my head how it really went I hoped it would be anyway uh you know so that word and just kind of like the the chord structure and 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 basic kind of like melody uh started in that room and then getting together with my band i i had that kind of already in mind and then i was already fooling with like okay we need a little solo section maybe even like uh mike and i were together i said you know instead of like a solo maybe we could play uh, a melody line together and so we ended up having this orchestrated little melody line and it turned into like a in the second pass through its melody and harmony and then, uh, you know, um, going into the next section with a verse and chorus. And each chorus is different. The harmony lines are different. If you notice, like, the harmony comes in, uh, it's less in the first chorus. The second chorus, there's more harmony lines. Mm-hmm. And then the last chorus, it's there's a lot more going on, too. So uh, that being said, and then, you know, having... Uh, there's a kind of a signature lick that happens only... Uh, once and then uh, it's right before the guitar solo I think and then a guitar solo happens and we come back in and do like some more stuff and I, I was like okay well I want the mandolin I want to do like a mandolin like doing the chorus and so I did this octave thing kind of like Sam Bush-esque yeah. you know and then yeah. Uh, under that, you know, I was like, I want, I want the banjo to kind of like, you know, maybe you can play a little bit around all of that and play some, you know, melodic kind of lines around that. And so this is all, you know, just talking and kind of, oh, we'll work through that one section and just do that. And so all those little sections kind of happened and we, in, a, in a couple of different rehearsals that we had and then uh, getting into the studio, we kind of had the framework, you know, and then we're able to kind of just more refine it in the studio and uh, ended up doing that. And, um, having some different chords uh at the end for the the outro and then mike's like oh i, I kind of came up with an ending what do you guys think about this and, and so that's that was the beginning of of the end <laughs> <laughs> the literal beginning of the end man yeah and so we kind of worked on the ending a little bit and this line that he plays at the end and worked on the chord structure through that and then you know that's just kind of how it worked out and and uh then we get to into the studio, like I say, and kind of uh, lay it down and uh, play it a few times, and uh, it seemed to just kind of play itself in the studio, which is really good. And 
the problem the problem is i don't say it's a problem but the challenge is uh i feel like i painted myself into a corner with the vocals because it's really high and it has these high sustaining notes and I really have to be in good voice to just like belt it out like that. And it sound, your vocals on that song are incredible. Incredible. Well, I was, thank you. I was in, in good vocal form and uh, I actually went it back in and re-sang it. Um, uh, and Allison Brown uh, was, you know, she co-produced with me. So I went and sang it in a, in a different studio and laid down what I thought might be final vocals. And I was like, ah, not terribly happy with it. And, you know, I feel like I could sing it better now. She goes, well, go in there and sing it. Let's do it. And so she, <sighs> she coached me through some of the, a little bit of the vocal lines and really kind of helped me capture what I was wanting to get forth or put forth, you know. And um, I really wanted the vocals to shine on this record a lot because I thought maybe I won't be able to play mandolin so much after this. Because That's right after right. that, right after the recording, I, I had uh, my left wrist, I had surgery on. Um, because I, mean, I could barely feel my index finger when I was recording that record, and my hand kept going numb and having all kinds of pain. Um, so I was having trouble with uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. And uh, ended up going to the Curtis National Hand Center. Uh, they have a musician's clinic and uh, got all checked out and made an appointment. And they, 12 minutes later, I'm out of the surgery, you know. And, Anyway, had that done. No kidding. Yeah, it was very short. It's a very low-impact kind of uh, surgery that they do there. They specialize. They kind of set the benchmark for uh, the least amount of uh, recovery time, which is kind of what I needed because, shoot, you know. Anyway, so I wanted the, I wanted the vocals to really shine because I didn't know if I was going to be able to play after the surgery because nothing's a guarantee. Quick recovery time, too, because you had posted some videos of you shortly after surgery kind of picking some, and I'm like, well, look at that. <laughs> I didn't, not missing a step. <laughs> right, right. Well, thanks. I uh, actually two weeks uh, hadn't really played except for in those videos, just kind of fooling around a little bit. And the doc said, you know, give yourself ten days before you actually start playing. But I came home from the surgery and kind of started playing. He said, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hurt anything. You're just gonna hurt, you know. So listen to your body, and if you if it hurts, don't do it, you know. I said, okay. So, but two weeks after. I, after that, I was invited. Sam Bush invited me to go sit in with them at the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia. Oh, jeez. When they were coming through and sit in on, like, their last song and, and play. And I was like, uh, just as long as it's not something fast, you know, I think I could probably do it. And so I got up there and, and did the last song with them. And it was, you know, it was just really groovy and such. And it felt really good. My adrenaline was up and I didn't feel a dang thing. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> what was the tune you played with them? Uh, I want to, I think it was, uh, sitting on top of the world was one of them. I oh, think cool. yeah. I can't remember what the other one was, but in, in a more, in the more like bluesy, you know, kind of, uh, halftime fashion, mm -hmm. you know, nice. Yeah. It was really cool. Where'd you record, uh, where'd you record this album? Cause it sounds phenomenal. Oh, thanks. Uh, most of it was done in, uh, the compass record studio, um, hillbilly central. And, uh, it's the same studio where like the, uh, Waylon and Willie Outlaw sessions were done in like the same studio that uh, Aeroplane, John Harper's Aeroplane was oh, done cool. in. cool. A lot of uh, cool, you know, mojo in there. So Yeah, you tapped into some great sounds, too. Uh, the album is just, I mean, it's a, I mean, besides the fact the songs are great, it's just, it's an interesting album to listen to, you know. It's, a, it's definitely a headphone album, which you don't, you know, you don't hear much of anymore, yeah. I don't think. It's so good. Right. 
Right. Well, you know, I appreciate you even saying that because, uh, you know, when I think about making an album, it's it's uh, the whole thing is a piece is the art as opposed to like each song, you know, but each song is it can stand on its own as well. But mm-hmm. if, if you go through, there's a lot of thought process in how the um, the sequence of songs goes, you know, and, and the feeling between the first song and the next song and the space in mastering between the first song and the next song and the, you know, of course, the, the level of volume and intensity between those and so on and so forth. You know, if you sit back and, and put headphones on and listen to this record, you're going to hear really cool things with how things are panned from one side to the other. And like the, uh, the, the auditory visual, if that makes any sense, like how you can hear the band uh, coming through and there's some like really cool, like, things where uh instruments like it sounds like they're stepping up to a microphone and then kind of going back to their place and the next solo kind of steps over and up into the front and center it's a really cool kind of thing if, if one can um have the patience to you know because in this day and age people don't have the patience they just want the you know oh yeah <laughs> you know, they don't listen to me they listen to music differently than than it used to be where you put on a record with bitching headphones and go listen to it from one uh, from the first song to the last song, you know, and uh, that's that in itself, you know, making a record that kind of like tells a story like that is is kind of an art. And I, I feel like we I think about it that way when I go into making a, a project happen, you know, sequencing and and, you know, talking about how things are panned and, and the, you know, and the placement of the instruments in, in the stereo kind of uh, audio visual kind of like where you visualize the uh the players you know in the oh band. yeah in your head oh, oh, yeah. yeah yeah i know exactly what yeah. you mean that's a you know it's growing up and listening to music you always have that and like when things move and yeah it's like it's like you said it's almost like you can see it <laughs> yeah if you close your eyes and really kind of hone in on that it's it's an art to be able to listen to music that way you know as opposed to just listening listening to it kind of really homogenized you know into a just like one kind of like straight in your face, maybe even mono kind of mix, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and you're being rewarded with that by this Grammy nomination. I mean, the album is, I think when I was talking with Don on it, it's, I think I said it was fearless. That's the feeling I got from it is, you know, it's especially like in the bluegrass genre, it's sometimes I could imagine it would be tough, you know, to uh, stretch out and, and not have people be like, uh, you know, and, the the craves the first song and I'm like sweet this is gonna be great oh right on well and it's it's funny it's like I don't even like when I'm making a record I especially this one I was like I, I'm not even like thinking like oh we are shooting f-. I mean our core audience is bluegrass for the most part because that's where you know everybody kind of has had beginnings you know and that's where we have most of our core audiences is that and like in the fringes of the uh you know, Americana and, and, um, and such. So I, uh, but not thinking about it when I'm making the record, you know, there's like one legit, maybe two bluegrass songs, but definitely one legit bluegrass song on there. And it's, uh, it's called Lena. Don't be angry, please don't be rude. 
it's like has all of the bluegrass things like banjo intro g runs you know mandolin kind of like very uh bluegrassy mandolin solo you know all of the things and uh, it's a very mid-atlantic sounding bluegrass song it was a buzz busby and leon morris wrote the song and uh anyway we got danny paisley and dudley connell to come in and sing harmony with me and they're the you know quintessential bluegrass mid-atlantic bluegrass dudes you know so from the seldom scene and danny paisley and southern grass you know yeah yeah so how did you come up with uh how'd you come up with ricky don't lose that number that's a great that's a great version of that Oh, right on. Yeah, so our bass player sings it on there. And yes. He, uh, so Jeremy, you know, I know he sings great. and He was singing, uh, you know, he sings so well. I was like, dude, you gotta, you know, what do you want to sing, man? What what songs can you bring forth? He was like, oh, I don't know, how about, uh, you know, put a few things forth. And Ricky, Don't Lose That Number was one of them. I was like, I can definitely hear us doing this, you know. Like, who, what other bluegrass band is going to do that? <laughs> right. And I'm just saying bluegrass band, you know, because that's where our core is. But sure. I, you know, I, I would do, you know, we were talking about doing a Rush song just recently, too. So we're working on maybe adding a Rush song to the mix. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And uh, like got some ideas for, you know, I got an idea. I got, I'm writing a kind of a bluesy kind of song right now, too. So I'm kind of mixing. We got, we got a big mix of different styles, you know, but that's kind of basically it, how it came to be, you know. Yeah. He said, well, let's try this, and so we started playing it, and, you know, well, how are we going to do this without drums and the piano, and da 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 and I was like, well, that's the thing, it's like, we work with what we have, and we fill in the gaps with the instruments that we have to be able to, like, my, I play the snare part, you know, mm -hmm. with mandolin, or, you know, the snare drum part, and and some other kind of like key elements, you know, and, and you can't play all of the parts, but you can like, you can get the essence of that, you know, if we're doing kind of a straight lift cover kind of thing, which is kind of what we did, except in our own style a little bit, you know. Well, yeah, so, it sounds like the song, but it sounds like your interpretation of it, you know. Exactly. And that's, you know, you don't want to lose the song, uh, you know. Same with like the letter, you know, when we play uh, the letter, it's the song is still the same. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear the same melody, same words, same chords, everything. different completely different take you know yeah how did you come up with the intro for that uh the letter yeah um well i was actually produced a record for a girl named angelica Grimm, and she recorded that version or at least the the beginnings of the version we play now um on that record and it was basically me and mike munford and uh the bass player and guitar player at the time that i was playing with i was still in the navy band but uh produced this record for her and um that happened to be one of the songs that i was like man i think this could be fun i kind of got an idea for an intro she did it in a, in a different key and uh i uh you know it's like same kind of deal you know here let, let's try this oh what if we did this you know let's uh maybe i can play this as an intro and then we can come in with this walk down da -da 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 -da. And, you know that's how it all kind of begins mm -hmm. but 
that's just great conversation and trying different ideas and uh that's how you kind of start you have like a a baseline and then you go from there you know and i and i, and I don't mean bases and bass i mean baseline is <laughs> a base sure know? yeah well, that's such a great version. Yeah, your covers are great. Yeah, I mean, if that, that's because your songs are great too. You, your your albums are filled with great songs, and the playing's phenomenal. It's it's a really great combination of the two. Because you know, it is, sometimes you hear, you know, you hear some albums like there's always. Yeah, I could probably I don't want to name them, but I could probably name five killer songwriters who have albums out who have other bands do way better versions. And you you know. Plenty of people have said like, oh, I like so-and-so's version better than the original. And, you know, it, that's, so that doesn't always work out. And then you hear other bands that are great players but don't have songs, and you have a great mashup of the two, the perfect combination. Yeah, well, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, absolutely. It's weird, you know, kind of being so insular, you know, like you, we're, doing what, we're doing what we're doing and we're rehearsing. And, you know, actually, we only rehearse before we make a record. Honestly, that's really the only rehearsing we do. Sometimes in a green room, we'll play a couple of tunes or on at a, a sound check. We'll, you know, kind of brush up on a tune or two and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, play it out. You know, it's a, it's one of those things where I'm really the only person I have to worry about in my band because everybody's such a world, world-class player. You know, it's like if, I, if I'm messing up, it's probably... I'm probably the only one doing so <laughs> because everybody's such a hoss, you know? Right, right. I think the consistency aspect of being able to, like, I just want to be able to sing well all the time. So I'm always trying to take care of my voice, you know, and I want to be able to play well. So I'm always trying to take care of my hands and keep, you know, keep the facility and be able to practice and have like a consistent, you know, be consistent in my timing and my tone and my just, uh, try to and all of those things if i'm if i'm doing that then that makes way for more creativity for some reason you know mm-hmm. so if i can just concentrate on being consistent the creativity part seems to like come a little more naturally you know if that makes sense sure and you you've mentioned tone and in 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 technique a little bit here and when you teach this master class what is kind of like some of the things just a little nuggets of information that i mean obviously we can't get a whole master class in this little bit of time but what are what are some helpful things that you find any player really can approach uh well uh having a really like i'll talk about the four t's like that's like the basis of uh all of you know a master class having a really good technique talk about pick hold talk about you know ergonomics and holding your instrument correctly talk about the uh attack on the strings and how you know, tightly you hold the plectrum and using, you know, your energy wisely and so on and so forth. So having this really good technique to produce a really good tone, that's the second T tone. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course you want to be in tune intonation, you know, but uh, also, you know, where to strike the strings, uh, you know, not really close to the bridge because it's really, you know, harsh, maybe sounding and really bright and maybe not too far over the fingerboard because it starts to get a little stringy. So finding the sweet spot, you know, and getting that good tone and, uh, you know, part of the technique is whether you plant or, you know, plant your fingers on the top or not, you know, maybe being more free and loose and fluid and loose and not tightening up and so on and so forth. Here's I'm giving you a whole masterclass. Here we go. And all of that, you know, while you're doing all of those things and having practicing your scales and your arpeggios or your tunes or whatever, even if it's brutally slow, make sure it's in time, you know, always practicing in time, because if, if you lose the timing, then, 
you know, every, it doesn't matter. You know, you're, you're not playing music at that point. So, and it, practicing things super slow with good technique and good tone and then increase the tempo because if, if you can't play it super slow with really good technique and tone, then you're not going to be able to do it super fast, you know? So, if, you know, if you, if, especially in time, you know, I noticed people that want, oh, I, oh yeah, I got that. And then just, you know, kind of like play really fast. I got that. Yeah, but you might, you might understand the notes and can play those notes really well, but are you playing them with, with a really good tone and is it musical, you know, like, are you making music now that you got it or are you just playing it? Mm -hmm. You know, that's the most elusive T. So it goes technique, tone, timing, tempo. And then the most elusive T is taste. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> playing with some taste now. Speaking of tone, what's your, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about gear if you don't mind. Sure. Let's do it. Yeah, man. So your main ax, is it still the one that you built? You know, for the most part, it has been, mm -hmm. uh, although I, I have a couple of Michael Lewis mandolins that I uh, play as well. Um, one is uh, Brazilian rosewood, uh, sides and back, and the top is, uh, I think, Engelman. And then I have another one that's it's his last mandolin that he made. He's retiring, which is a um, hard rock maple sides and back, and then um, a red spruce top, and just... It's kind of a little bit distressed and it sounds great you know all the mandolins i have each one is different none of them get any better you know you don't you don't get a better sounding mandolin you just get a different sounding mandolin right when they're at that kind of level or whatever sure but uh you know i play plugged in most of the time so people go oh, how do you get such a great tone plugged in and i use a uh, um grace design felix or alex which is a a, a mic pre uh, they have these really high-end recording mic microphone preamps that uh, they have condensed down into a pedal size thing for instruments and or microphones to be plugged in and have foot switches so you can use them on stage. What kind of pickup do you have in the mandolin? Uh, man, I've I tried all kinds of them, but mm -hmm. uh, the, the one that I gravitate towards the most, and it's in all of my mandolins and mandola and guitar now, are the K&K pickups. They're very... Uh, transparent and they could they can come across if you're not careful a little bit um bright perhaps and uh i think they they buck uh you know they buck feedback pretty well i did use uh an lr bags radius pickup for some time uh -huh. And, and then I talked with Bo, uh, the guy who kind of created that thing for LR Bags at, um, at the IBM World Bluegrass a number of years ago, right after that thing started coming into the into play. And they basically, they have a little diagram inside where, they, you know, to a starting point, place it on top of your instrument. And I thought, well, that's pretty good, but it still has that kind of mid-rangey, thwacky sound. And so I've moved it around. I started putting it parallel to the bridge in that same kind of area, huh. and it did away with the uh, the thwacky sound. And I told Bo that he said, "Well, it's designed to go, you know, the with the grain of the top of the instrument." I was like, "Well, I get that, <laughs> but let me show you what I'm talking about." And, and he had his mandolin set up with one there, and and so I started, you know, going A and Bing it a little bit on his mandolin that was set up with the same with the pickup and whatnot. And he goes, "You're absolutely right. That's so weird." And uh, so now the diagram in, in when they send those out, 
has it going parallel to the bridge as opposed to what it used to be. No way. So, so you're now the CEO of LR Bags. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, I found it pretty interesting that that's what, that's what happened. You know. Yeah. Their, oh my gosh, that's deal. great. Well, that's the thing, man. You're taking a guy who's road testing these things and playing it and trying to find the best sound every, you know, every chance you get. And sometimes you got to listen to that person, too. And that's amazing. It worked. Exactly. (laughs) And it's not, you know, in a in a controlled environment either, you know, in, in their own little office space or whatever, you know, in their controlled situation. It's in on a stage, you know, playing in front of thousands of people and you're going, okay. But I tell you what, K and K, the Twin Spot Mini or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. has has been incredible in my instruments. I've I've had a couple of them fail. I think just because of maybe solder points in the jack or whatever it might have been. I think uh, there's only been in one time it happened actually on uh, as we were sound checking at Merle Fest. Oh geez. And uh, yeah, and I was like, luckily had another mandolin with me. Uh, because I'd driven down there, I took a second mandolin that I was thinking I might sell, but it also had a K and K in it. It was a gold top Gibson mandolin. And uh, anyway, so I was able to play a mandolin with uh, with you know my deal. So as opposed to going, uh, how do I make this work? Do I need a microphone? What's going on? Oh um, wow! In that same show, actually, we had two uh, Earthworks man uh, microphones, really high end, you know S. SV or whatever they are, SRV 40s or something like that. I can't remember the exact designation, but really great high-end live mics by Earthworks, and they sounded incredible. But both of them started fuzzing and popping and making weird noises and, and failing as we started our show at Merlefest. So, like, a couple of songs in, we had to have, like, the sound technician over at a uh, side stage. We, had our, we have our own sound man, too, out front. He's like, what the heck's going on? Oh. I actually had to, like, you know, talk about taking the wind out of your sails when you want to just rage in front of a big audience, you know? Right. Again, I, I just have to have gear that can withstand, you know. Uh, so we're just using, like, Sure 58s to sing into pretty mm-hmm. much for the most part. Or, uh, you know, a dynamic mic. I've, I've been singing into a Sennheiser recently, but... Anyway, just really robust gear is what we need, you know, and I find that Grace Design uh, pedal is really good. I, I use some Boss pedals, and I use some other kind of, like, tone pedals, uh, you know, to for phase shifting and, you know, maybe some distortion here and there or chorus pedal or whatever when we're jamming out. But right. for the weird. most part, you know, yeah, right, it's getting <laughs> weird in here. But uh, mostly my, my the tone that you're hearing most of the time is that, uh, Grace Design, Felix or Alex, and then uh, just a, an old school boss. Uh, I think it's uh, it's a, it's a reverb delay pedal, and um, so you hear just a little bit of reverb on there, so it kind of opens up the top end of the of the tone of the mandolin, so it's not so dry sounding. Sure, but it's not on there super thick or whatever. It's mm-hmm. just enough to kind of like open up the sound a little bit, so it sounds a little bit more uh, natural, you know. Yeah. And that's that's basically the, the tone I have. It's really K and K, Grace, and then the, the little um, reverb pedal. Do you um what do you use for uh, strings and picks? Uh well I'll tell you what, uh, Bill Emerson used to say, you know, he, he he did a workshop one time and somebody asked him what well what what kind of strings do you use, Bill? And he was a you know famous banjo player. Mm-hmm medium <laughs> oh what, what, what gauge picks do you like 
medium. And uh, how do you like your action setup? Do you like it high or low? Medium. You know. <laughs> I won't be that dry with you, though. I'll, uh, so most of the time I'm using EXP75, the Darius strings. And uh, I, I like those a lot. Um, and also, uh, as far as a pick goes, most recently been using blue chip uh, it's a ct55 or a 55 that is a round bevel so it's a ct55 rb and it has a really nice round sound uh there's no bevel to that pick um and uh, of course natural material picks too i'm in the studio i use um tortoiseshell a lot but on the road is they're hard you got to keep maintaining them but uh you know, there's other picks that I've used too. There's an Altex, like the, um, I think a Dunlop Altex is a really nice sounding pick. Um, I do this thing where I drop a pick onto like a, a hard surface and, you know, the brighter and more solid sound, the harder and more dense that material is. So I really like really dense material, very, what is it, the Brunel scale or something? I think that's what it's called, like where you've, the, the hardness of a material you can test. Anyway. That's the first. That's the first. That's been. That's the first time anybody said that about dropping the pick on a hard surface. That's that's interesting. Yeah, if you drop the pick in, a, in a, you know, kind of like a coin, you know, it makes a sound, you know, and kind of settles out. But hearing that sound, you can tell like a, if you just drop like a blue chip pick uh, next to like a Fender, just like medium, you know, the mm-hmm. Fender medium just sounds really dull and like, and the the uh, the blue chip will be like really bright and. Um, you know, you can tell it's much dense, more dense and like just a harder material, you know? Right, right. And that's what you're looking for, a really hard material. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's kind of in the hands too, you know, because Sam Bush just uses like a Fender, uh, you know, heavy too, uh, teardrop shaped pick. And his picks, they say some bish. Yeah, <laughs> I've got one. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, uh, but he uses that rounded corner and he gets a huge sound out of the same kind of pick that, you know, if I were to use, it sounds probably pretty bright. So it's like the old adage, would you rather hand a $20,000 instrument to somebody that can barely play it or a $20 instrument to somebody that's a master, you know, like mm-hmm. what you want to hear, Yeah. you know, you want to hear the person that can play. Exactly. Really what you want to hear. And so the, the idea is like focus on your fundamentals and get, get to be a more proficient player and, and then you're going to be hearing the things that you want to hear anyway. Well, I have two more questions for you. And I know I, I should point out Frank actually is on the road and pulled over to do this podcast today. So yeah, pulled uh, into the Cabela's, <laughs> the Cabela's right here in Bristol. Oh, so um, one of the things I always ask when uh, we got a, people of all different levels listen to the podcast, but one of the most popular questions that I get is when I ask players, if you had 10 minutes a day to pick up your mandolin, to, what would you work on today? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I've been fooling around with a little bit of Bach lately. Oh, uh, cool. But, uh, you know, I, I'm always trying to practice fundamentals. So I start, when I, when I start playing the mandolin, I start kind of just listening to my hands a little bit and going, okay, what am I, what am I going to play? And I, it usually starts with some scales and some, just being able to kind of get around on the instrument a little bit and feeling my, you know, oh, today I need to start a little slower. You know, I'm going to do a little stretching while I do that and then kind of go back to it. Probably scales and arpeggios and 
there are a couple of tunes that kind of incorporate some of that stuff, like uh, Monroe's Hornpipe, and then mm. there's like uh, Little Rock Getaway is a fun one to kind of like kind of warm up on, and uh, it does a lot of arpeggios too, and um, that kind of stuff, you know. And then of course I'm always when I play, when I practice, I, it's not just lead kind of stuff either. I, I I have a tendency to kind of practice getting a big fat tone out of the chords I play too. And so I'll practice a bunch of chord um, scales, you know, and walking up a diatonic scale with chords and, um, you know, all the while trying to get that really good, fat, big tone that, you know, uh, everybody wants to strive for, I'm sure. Yeah, so, absolutely. That's kind of fun. And, and I keep an instrument out, so when I walk by, I'll play it for like two or three minutes and then put it down and then go, you know, do something and then come back and, oh, there it is again, I'm going to grab that and play and I might not even sit down. I might just like be standing there and put my knee up on a chair or my foot up on a chair so I can put the instrument on my knee and just like play a couple of notes. That's really the key factor. It doesn't have to be like an hour at a time, you know? Yeah, that was my whole point with this 10 minutes is that, you know, if you just say you're going to pick it up 10 minutes a day, a lot of times it be, it's, it's longer than 10 minutes for sure. But even just that little bit is playing every day. Yeah, and I think the key component is like keeping your instrument accessible like out of the case and out where you see it and you go oh yeah it's easier to grab it when it's already out of the case you know than it is to oh i gotta go pick it up put the case open the case pull the instrument out close up the case put the case down (laughs) like there's your three minutes you know maybe (laughs) maybe it won't take you that long you know but it's like there's your minute of time that you could already been playing the instrument yeah absolutely that's great and then um, the, I always like to ask, uh, do you have a favorite beer you've been drinking right now? And I figured this would be interesting with you because you are a foodie. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I love beer and I love wine. I, I, and I know, you know, we got your mandolins and beer deal here, man. But uh, honestly, I haven't been drinking a lot lately. Um, hasn't, hasn't been making me feel very good. But I tell you, I, I really was getting down with uh, a bunch of um, – and I still like a really good um, Hefeweizen. Mm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I love a, I love beer that's really cold, too. And uh, are you hip to Hogarten? Oh, Hogarten? yeah. Oh, yeah. Really good. Yeah, yeah. I love that, you know, unfiltered, you know, kind of vibe. So, uh I gravitate towards that most of the time, but I, I like a hoppy beer too, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old standby in the green is uh, the, you know, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm from California originally, so, you know, that. And I like Anchorstein too from San Francisco, you know. Yeah, sure. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm down to try just about anything. And the, the problem with, like, hoppy beers for me, a lot of times people just get them too sweet, you know, and I'm, I'm not a... Yeah, I don't want orange juice. I want a, <laughs> exactly. I want a beer. <laughs> I, yeah, and I, and, you know, I don't want to waste my time either. And sometimes, you know, I can't drink a lot of them. They make me, they make me full really quick. So if I have a, you know, if I have a beer, I want it to be a really good one. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, and I love that so many people are brewing these days, and all these little boutique breweries are up and running and. It's a really cool thing, you know. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. <laughs> it's last year. Yeah, last year we we did a tour in nine. You know, I was in nine different countries last year in Europe, 
and uh, it was uh, it was awesome. All yeah. nine, maybe not nine countries, but I was definitely on nine airplanes. We were in Poland, <laughs> Czech Republic, uh, Switzerland, France, uh, Bulgaria, Serbia. So that's six countries again. But having beer in every one of those places was awesome. Yeah, that's and, so cool, uh, man. And to everybody's disbelief, every one of them was ice cold. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, when we got to Poland, man, the first word I learned in Poland was ladufka, which is uh, refrigerator. <laughs> and our host there had this little, like, it looks looks like a little ice chest or whatever in this vehicle, but it plugged into the cigarette, you know, kind of like deal, the little outlet thing. Mm-hmm. And it was a little refrigerator, and he, had, he pulls out... Uh, you know, kielbasa and, and beers. That's the first thing we had when we got to Poland. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. And oh, they were ice cold beers. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah, so where we went, it was like a really cold beer. And, uh, you know, and I was like, everybody wanted to pour us a beer. And I was like, okay, I'm drinking beer on this trip. And it was awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Music, beer, and kielbasa? Come on, man. <laughs> you can't yeah, go right. wrong. <laughs> exactly. So. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you letting me flap about my, you know, flap my lips about the things that I do. I appreciate you and your support. And man, I, I wish the best for you in this podcast. And I, I hope, uh, you know, if you send me some links or whatever, we'll, we'll throw it around too. And, uh, awesome. Man, I, Thank you, Frank. I appreciate it. And I appreciate yeah, you taking the time. Right. So uh, you're the best, buddy. My pleasure, man. Take care of yourself, bud. You too. All right. There we go. Thank you so much to Frank. Um, again, him and Don, last week's guest, are on a little mini tour, and I'll be in Atlanta tonight, um, the day this episode airs, at Eddie's Attic. I'm looking forward to checking it out. I want to thank my sponsors, Mandolin Cafe, as always, and then the new one this week, Sound Slice. Again, go to soundslice.com forward slash mandolin beer to preview the different co- collections from Don, and then if you use the mandolin beer, all one word for each course, you can get a discount. All right, next week's guest is the amazing Sharon Gilchrist. You guys have yourselves a great week. Cheers, everyone.